On today's podcast, I had the opportunity to visit with Drew McHouston, and Drew is from a private equity group here in Indianapolis called the Firefly Group. And I've known him for a number of years. We run in the same networking circles and, and such, and I've always been impressed with his group and the deals that they've done because they're really good deals. And you never hear a bad thing about them. Um, they're just good guys doing good deals. And so I was excited to have them on the podcast. And And the side benefit is one of their acquisitions was EOS. And for those of you who don't know about EOS, it is the Entrepreneur's Operating System. And that is the, the big thing going around the the country and the world, for that matter. And they acquired the, the rights or the business um, for EOS. So it was interesting to talk about that acquisition and, and why they got into it and, and what they plan to do with it. So enjoy my conversation with Drew McHouston. Please welcome, please welcome. Welcome. This is another episode of the Defenders of Business Value Podcast, a podcast where we talk about what makes a business valuable. Learn the tips and tactics to increase your company's value that only veteran dealmakers know. And now, here's your host, Ed Misogland. I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. I teach business owners how to build value and identify and remove risks in their business so that one day they can sell their companies at maximum value when they want, how they want, and to whom they want. On today's show, I'm excited to welcome Drew McHouston of the Firefly Group. I've known him for quite some time, and it's been an awful lot of fun to watch their company grow and the acquisitions that they're making and the value that they're creating. So, Drew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ed. Really honored to be here with you, uh, and I appreciate you having us on the show. Well, it, like I said, it's great to have you. And and I, I before the show started, I, I kind of gave a, a little introduction about you. But uh, if you don't mind, can you give a little bit more detail about you and the Firefly Group? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, to start with, uh, a quick background on myself. Uh, I had a bit of a random walk into uh, my current line of work in principal investing, uh, lifelong Hoosier, uh, started my career and cut my teeth in politics and government, if you can believe it. Um, used to work in the administration of former Governor Daniels here in the state. Uh, great experience for, uh, for a young professional to have, uh, learn from, uh, from truly impressive individuals. Uh, I joke with folks that, that they pay you in peanuts in public service, but they give you way more responsibility than you should ever have in your twenties. <laughs> uh, and was a great, uh, really a great learning experience and, um, you know, building a, a network as a young professional. And, uh, from there I, I decided to go, uh, instead of moving around every two years or four years and working for, uh, for new administrations, new politicians, I decided to go back to business school and, it was right around the time I was settling down with my wife. We were engaged and uh, thinking about what the future held. So decided to go back to business school. Um, and uh, after I finished my MBA, uh, spent a little bit of time in healthcare, uh, doing a mix of financial work and, um, and healthcare transaction work. Uh, it's where I met one of my current partners uh, was our time together at IU Health, uh, who really got me into uh, this line of work was Derek Smith. And uh, from there, uh, left IU Health and uh, joined up with uh, him at a family office where we started making some investments, started working with uh, our other two current partners here at the Firefly Group. Um, and uh, we've been working together now for going on five years. Uh, just a, a fantastic team of individuals. I, I share with folks that 
Uh, I'm the luckiest guy in the world because I've got uh, a team of partners uh, and mentors all in one um, and really enjoy working uh, with my three partners at the Firefly Group and uh, acquiring family-owned businesses uh, throughout the Midwest and the eastern half of the United States. Well, I'll tell you, and and I mean, certainly you guys are doing some some great things, but you know, having uh, having partners like that, I mean, it, it certainly makes going to work a lot easier. Absolutely, one of our core values is to have fun, and we take our work seriously, uh, but not ourselves. Uh, and uh, with that, it, it's a great joy to, to come into the office every day, not just to work with my partners, but to work with. Uh, the leadership team members of our portfolio companies and and our other uh, stakeholders, uh, intermediary partners like yourself, Ed, and, and other good ones out in the marketplace um, as we're looking for new opportunities. Speaking of opportunities, I mean, what, what are you seeing in, in the M&A market now? I mean, you know, you, you get the doomsday scenario that, uh, you know, there's so much money on the sidelines and it's not being able to be deployed yet. You're out there and you're making some good deals. So So what are you seeing? Well, it, there's no shortage of competition, that's for sure. Um, you know, I would say, especially at the, the lower end of the market, uh, lower end of the middle market, uh, you know, the Firefly Group, we focus on family-owned companies, entrepreneur-owned companies. Uh, we're always the first outside capital uh, into those sorts of situations. We don't buy from other investment groups, uh, whether VC or, or private equity uh, firms. And usually between five and 50 million of revenue um, is the, the size range that we focus on. And, you know, at that end of the, uh, of the size range, you're seeing a bit of a bifurcation of, uh, of quality uh, in terms of really attractive companies. Uh, they do attract uh, all the attention of all the dry powder from uh, groups uh, uh, from coast to coast uh, and can get quite competitive. Uh, and then others that, uh, and I'm sure you see this as well, um, will go out to market, but uh, simply not get done uh, for a host of reasons, both on the, the seller side and the buyer side. Um, but we continue to see uh, good economic tailwinds uh, in the market. There is uh, no shortage of dry powder um, groups with, that have raised a lot of money. Uh, and what we're seeing at our end of the market is you've got a lot of uh, larger private equity uh, funds that are coming down market, as they say, uh, and looking at smaller companies, um, not just as, as add-on acquisitions to uh, their platform companies, but uh, even going below their stated minimum threshold on size and uh, coming down and, and looking for uh, smaller initial acquisitions or platform acquisitions from which they can build. Um, so it's been an interesting from a competitive positioning standpoint over the last few years uh, where you've had uh, more folks coming into the market um, looking to buy companies, uh, whether owner operators and just the abundance of capital uh, to support folks uh, acquiring companies at this end of the market. And then you've also got new competition coming down market from, from larger private equity groups. Uh, it makes things challenging, but it also uh, keeps things interesting and keeps us on our toes and uh, makes it a very active and vibrant market, which is uh, fun to be a part of. Yeah, but you know, the funny thing is, and, and one of the questions I, I had for you is, as the larger private equity groups come down into the area that, you know, that, that you guys specialize in, I mean, when they do make those acquisitions, and, and again, this is just from the things I, I've heard and, and some of the articles that I've read, I mean, there's a culture shock when you bring in a professional buyer that, you know, has 50 companies under their umbrella. And then all of a sudden, you know, mom and pop, you know, we have an entirely different company. You know, it's, it's kind of a, a 
you know, a, a shock to the system on, you know, what did we just do? How does that work? And what would make them want to do that? Because I would assume changing that whole culture is a heck of a lot harder than, than the business itself. Yeah. Why would the private equity groups want to come down market and do that? Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, for a lot of them, it's really about uh, deploying capital and building scale. Um, And that's why you see this uh, so often where, uh, they are willing to, to pay up um, and pay high prices for the initial acquisition. And then uh, with the expectation as part of their investment thesis to do 10, 12, 15 add-on acquisitions on that single platform uh, in order to, to build scale, uh, build it quickly and deploy capital in the process. Um, and so if they have the right, uh, the right leadership team in place, um, you know, a lot of that integration um, and whether cultural or systems integration, they've got that process baked in, um, and, uh, are very skilled and, uh, well-versed at, at running and executing that play. It's interesting The I think more of the culture shock, at least what we see in working with sellers, um, is from the seller side of, uh, that's a very different buyer than maybe what they expected going into the process, no matter how much their advisors, uh, prepared them for, uh, what all the different range of buyers may look and feel like and how it may impact yeah. the company moving forward. Why are you seeing deals not get consummated? What, what makes you, what makes you lose deals when you, when you walk into, uh, into a business, you've obviously spent some time, you've done some work on the business as far as evaluation and due diligence. I mean, what makes, what makes the deal fall apart for you guys or better yet your investment criteria? What, what excludes them right out of the gate? Yeah. Well, uh, gosh, I don't know if your uh, listeners have long enough to, uh, uh <laughs> have me rattle off the entire list of reasons we lose deals. Uh, but it, it's sure. a whole host we're, of we're on a commute. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, it's a whole host of things. We're uh, at the firefly group. We're extremely selective. We don't raise our hands too often. Uh, we don't invest out of a traditional blind pool, blind pool dedicated fund. Um, we find, uh, try to find great companies and we pair them with flexible capital on a transaction by transaction basis where really that, that single company uh, functions on a standalone basis in partnership with the Firefly group uh, and our investor base. And so with that, we've got a lot of flexibility. We don't have timelines that we have to adhere to uh, either on the front end in terms of deploying capital or during our investment window and how long we can stay partnered up with companies. And so that, that has a good and a bad effect to it, right? For our business model. The, the great side of that is we get to be extremely choosy. Um, we don't have that, that pressure, that shot clock running to go put capital to work. And uh, we like to work very closely with a small number uh, of partner companies uh, we currently work with five companies and uh, we're not trying to build the biggest portfolio um, uh, of companies. We're not trying to have the most assets under management. We're trying to find the right groups of companies to work closely with and uh, help to build great companies. And so with that, we don't raise our hand too often. And then when you don't raise your hand too often, it, it doesn't take too many bad bounces to not do an investment in a year. Uh, and that's okay. Uh, but certainly on the flip side of that is, um, you know, we're here to, to find the right opportunities to pull the trigger on, uh, find the great teams to partner with and hopefully build a lot of value for uh, all the stakeholders and build great cultures, uh, in those companies, um, along the way with that. So 
you know, we'll, we'll miss out on opportunities, uh, of course, sometimes for price, uh, you know, we may be looking at something as a, as a platform or initial investment for us. Um, and it's attracting a lot of strategic interest, um, either from corporations or from larger private equity platforms that are looking at it as an add on. That's a really, uh, tough situation to compete if you're competing solely on price. Uh, now at the same time, a lot of, uh, sellers out there will say, I don't want to be swallowed up by, um, larger company. Uh, I want my team to have a chance to, um, continue to drive the bus in partnership with the right people who can, uh, you know, add some extra fuel to the fire. Um, I want them to have that opportunity, uh, both to run the place and to participate, um, in a meaningful way in the equity upside of, of whatever the outcome is. Um, but if we're head to head with, uh, groups that are, um, looking at it from a strategic angle, they just have the ability to pay more. Um, and they, and they should, if that's what the, the seller prioritizes, they should ultimately be the, the winner of that process. Uh, we'll lose out on opportunities simply because of bandwidth. We can only chase so many opportunities, uh, at one time. And we have to really prioritize, uh, as you know, Ed, from, uh, from the role that you play, we don't get to, uh, to choose when companies come to market. We have to either be ready to run fast, um, or let it pass by. Um, and that's just an unfortunate reality sometimes when we've got several different opportunities and we just have to pick one and, uh, uh, pursue that one. And that leads me to my, my next question is, you know, the deals that got away, do you have a, a deal that you're like, you know, at the time was pretty painful to have missed, but then you sit there and say, man, the, the deal gods were looking out for us that day. <laughs> uh, yeah, I certainly have uh, a several of those. Um, and it's, it's less about, I won't name any specifics. Um, sure. so I'll, I'll go ahead and give you the preview that I'm going to give you a non-answer. Uh, but, uh, it's less about, um, company, you know, we've been around long enough now that we've seen companies trade and then trade again, uh, both good outcomes and some not so good outcomes. Um, and it's, it's less about, um, man, I'm glad that one went away because it looks like it maybe didn't go so well, or I heard in the marketplace that it's not going so well. Um, the ones that I'm glad that, uh, we didn't do are the ones that freed up our bandwidth to do the next ones that we got to do. Uh, right. If I would have, um, you know, been ultimately successful on ones that we were chasing company X, Y, Z, then I wouldn't have got to, um, uh, work with, uh, dealers, wholesale or EOS or capital lighting, Kim metal technologies, EMT, our, our portfolio companies, uh, there's some serendipity in um, how we end up partnering with them. And sometimes what feels like loss is uh, actually the, the opening of the opportunity to do the next one that is the right one. Um, and so that's uh, just like in baseball, right? You got to have a short memory, uh, either as a pitch, <laughs> pitcher or a batter. Um, and brokerage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, just, it, same in our world. You got to have a short memory, um, you got to carry the lessons and the learnings with you. Um, but you gotta uh, keep after it and, um, continue to, to scour for, um, the right next opportunity, the right next great team to, um, hopefully partner with. Yeah. And that, that leads me to what makes a business attractive to, to folks like you. And, and, and I, and I think, uh, the first part would be 
how exactly does a private equity group work? I mean, I'm, you know, for our listeners, you know, I'm certain that, you know, not everybody knows, you know, just the, the high level overview of, of how a firm like yours works and then what makes businesses attractive to, to folks like you. Yeah, great question. And, and so I'll start with the, just the business model. Um, as we talk with sellers, I, I, I break it down into really, there's three things at a very high level um, that our group or other private equity firms do. Uh, number one is they have to find investment opportunities. So you'll hear that called deal origination or sourcing or business development. Uh, that is uh, going out and working with business brokers, investment bankers, uh, your trusted advisory network who uh, serves your target market of privately held company owners, um, and really uh, being in the, the flow of opportunities. Um, so that's one you have to bring enough opportunities in the door. Um, you know, you, you got to have, uh, you got to be able to step up and take swings. And to do that, uh, you have to have to see the pitches. Uh, you know, the second bucket is what a lot of groups would refer to as uh, transaction services. Um, and this is the review of those opportunities that come in the door, trying to figure out, do they fit the firm's investment criteria? Are they good opportunities? Is it something we want to learn more about? Uh, do we have the right resources and relationship capital to bring the bear to, to help those opportunities? And that, then from there, that that second bucket runs all the way through closing the transaction. So financing, uh, due diligence, uh, negotiation uh, with the seller and the sellers, um, intermediaries and trusted advisors. So that, uh, that middle piece, the transaction services is what most people think of uh, when they uh, think of private equity firms. But then it's really the third bucket, um, the operating side, the value creation side, working with your portfolio companies uh, after you um, acquire them. That's where the most of the time is actually spent, where you may be working with a company. In our case, um, ours are structured in a way that we can work with them for uh, really an indefinite period of time. Uh, a lot of private equity firms will have anywhere between a three to a seven year kind of uh, projected time uh, horizon or hold period. Um, but that's where most of the time is spent. Um, so that's really the three buckets that, that you break our business model uh, down into. Um, and then, you know, your, the second part of your question was around um, what makes a great company or how do we pick um, from all the opportunities, uh, which ones that, um, are fit for us and that we want to pursue. And that falls in that second bucket, the, the transaction services. Um, you know, every uh, group has a different set of criteria, um, both in terms of size range and um, are they more industrial focused or consumer focused, uh, business services versus manufacturing, um, all different um, types of approaches to the, to the marketplace, depending on, uh, the firm strategy and the, the background and experience set of the, the professionals within the investment firm. Uh, you know, I think what's commonplace across all of them is uh, at the end of the day, you've got to find great leadership teams and you got to be serving the right markets. Um, and so that the right leadership teams never change. Um, the, the right markets are, are very um, criteria dependent, depending on the firm. One of the things that I always squabble with business owners about 
are the returns and returns regardless of the the type of buyer. I mean, it, it do you, it, is there a, a bogey that you guys look to you know, from a return on your investment? What what kind of rate versus you know some of the other alternative investments that are out there? Yeah, great question, and it, and it's very you know private equity has become such a large asset class uh, that there are a lot of different tranches within that, um, and the return profiles uh, you know are very different um, from the large multi billion dollar funds that you know, over time, their return profile has come down um, and it, it tends to, to not be a whole lot different from uh, the public equities market, but just a little bit different um, risk allocation or, um, you know, cycle risk or a uh, beta risk. But uh, at the lower end of the market, still very uh, much return driven. And, you know, frankly, on smaller companies, you're taking some inherent size risk uh, just in partnering with smaller companies, uh, there's less room for error. There's smaller balance sheets to from which to invest, even when an investment group comes in. And uh, with that, you would expect, um, and we expect, uh, to underwrite to a little bit higher return profile. Uh, for us, in our model, um, you have to underwrite, um, you know, a, a well-performing investment we're more focused on cash on cash returns than we are percentage returns. At the end of the day, we feed our families in dollars, not in percentages. And we have yeah. the, the, the flexibility in our timeline based on our model uh, to work with uh, um, companies for a long period of time over our investment window. Now, you know, for ourselves and just our time allocation, certainly for our investors, we have to, you know, be return driven, of course. Um, and we have very high expectations again, going back to, you know, how selective we are when we raise our hands. Um, but, uh, it is, uh, always part of the conversation, especially when, uh, the sellers will be reinvesting alongside us, um, uh, right. as, uh, as go forward, uh, investors in the business and not selling hundred percent stake. Speaking of one of your investments, uh, EOS, which, you know, I, it's funny because I have, I just happened to stumble onto EOS. I mean, obviously you, you, you can't, it's the latest global entrepreneur buzzword these days. You, you can't, mm -hmm. you can't dodge it. And next thing I know, my friend Drew's private equity group happens to own that. And I, and you're being right up the road. I'm kind of embarrassed that I didn't know that. So where did, where did that come from and how? Yeah. Uh, great question. And, uh, you know, a story just happy to, to share with you and the listeners, um, EOS for, for your listeners that, that don't know stands for the entrepreneurial operating system. Uh, and it's the, uh, the content IP, the, the holistic, uh, set of systems and tools uh, for business owners is built on uh, from the book Traction by Gino Wickman. Um, and we first came to EOS as users of the program. Uh, my partner, David Mann, first brought it into our group um, after he had read the book years and years ago. Um, and he read it and it was just uh, an aha, a eureka type moment of oh my gosh, this is exactly what we're trying to work with our companies um, in pursuit of, but it's, it's put together in such a simple and beautiful way that makes it easier to implement. Uh, and when he shared it with uh, myself and the rest of the partners, it was that same aha kind of moment. 
Um, and so we were out, you know, working on our operating playbook, um, for how to help companies build value after we acquire them. And we said, this is the perfect, um, this is the perfect system for us to use. Uh, and so, uh, we started, uh, working, uh, with our partner companies to, to implement EOS, uh, in their companies because we saw it as the best tool, uh, to help, uh, them get what they want out of running the business and help us achieve our objectives in owning the business. Um, and so like many folks who come to EOS, we first started, we read the book, uh, we dabbled with some of the tools. We probably didn't do it purely. We weren't using all of the tools. We weren't getting the most out of it, but we're starting to see some progress. Uh, and then we started, you know, as a best practice, uh, we started working with professional and certified implementers uh, and had them come in and work with our leadership teams uh, on a quarterly and annual basis as part of the EOS process uh, to help us uh, achieve our objectives uh, in owning the business. We saw great, great outcomes from it. Um, not just ROI outcomes, but culture. Uh, the um, the um, Just the way that our teams function, they were healthier. They were uh, holding each other more accountable. They were more growth oriented. We were, we finally had a set of criteria and core values to uh, make sure we were hiring, promoting and firing for on core values and getting the right people on the bus. And then once they were on the bus, making sure we found them the right seat. So uh, we first came to, to EOS as rabid fans. Uh, we saw it work in our companies and we just absolutely loved it. And it became um, our standard operating procedure to use it with all of our portfolio companies long before um, it was ever an investment opportunity for us. So how did it convert from I'm a fan to I'm buying it? Yeah, you know, uh, it's a great story. And, uh, you know, before I got into this line of work, I never really looked at products or services with an inquisitive mind of, hey, I wonder who sells that or I wonder who does that. And uh, my, my partners were great uh, teachers to me in that way of, you know, they'd go into a, a building and look at the escalator and say, I wonder who takes care of that escalator. Um, and, you know, just saw business opportunities everywhere. Um, and so one of my partners finally said, you know, we should try to reach out to, to Gina Wickman and tell him our story. And we're huge fans of the system. Um, so just get to know him. And um, then, of course, we'll ask him if he wants to sell the business. So um, one of my partners, through a, a common connection, uh, got us in introduced uh, to Gino several years ago. Uh, and he was gracious enough to, to hop on the phone. And um, we were able to share our story and, and how much uh, we believed in the, the system, how we used it in all of our partner companies. Um, and he was again, just very gracious with his time and hearing that and, uh, you know, appreciative of the fact that we reached out to come. We, uh, we liked it and we were getting some value out of it. You know, his whole mantra in life is to, uh, create value and, and help entrepreneurs live their ideal life. And, and he was just glad to hear that, um, we were experiencing some of that just through using the system that he was the creator of. Uh, and so uh, my partners couldn't let him get off the phone without asking. So, Hey, we know there's a book and we know there's a system, but is there a, a business uh, behind all of this? And, and Gino kind of laughed. He said, yeah, there's, there is a business that's doing quite well. And they said, well, would you ever be interested in selling it? And he said, well, no, but thanks for calling. <laughs> and so we have a ton of those uh, conversations as part of our uh, everyday lives at the Firefly group. And, 
so we went on about our business and kept doing what we were doing. And, uh, you know, maybe nine months, 12 months later, uh, Gino called one of uh, my partners and said, you know, I've decided to sell the business and I've hired, um, an investment banker to help me in the process. And, uh, I would love for you guys to, to participate in that process. Um, so, I mean, we were just over the moon ecstatic again. It's not every day that, um, we have, um, as consumers, uh, we have a very clear understanding of the product whenever new investment opportunities come across our desk. So we were thrilled to jump in on that and, and certainly humbled uh, to work through that process. Uh, and it was quite a process. Gino had uh, 12 criteria uh, for what he believed the right buyer uh, for EOS was, and, and they were uh, 11 of them were not price, uh, Ed. Uh, uh, price was certainly one of the 12, but it was uh, there were 11 other serious ones. And, uh, the thing that uh, we've all just come to love about Gino and Don, his partner, and, and just the entire EOS community is very intentional. Gino is very intentional about, uh, planning for the sale of his business and what, um, was it acceptable and what was unacceptable in terms of the buyer of that business. So, uh, again, we were just very humbled to go through that process and, and ultimately be selected to, uh, to be the, uh, the partner for the next stage of growth and to, um, to buy a majority position, um, from Gino and his partner and, and now work with uh, the leadership team there on, uh, on what's ahead. And there's a lot of opportunity ahead for that company for sure. Well, I, I would love to know, and, and you guys, you know, if, if you bump across the statistics, I'd be curious to know how much more valuable a company that has deployed EOS is versus a non-company that, you know, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I, I gotta imagine it, it, I don't want to say considerable, but, but I'll bet you there's some percentage premium when you have that system deployed. Yeah. Um, I certainly, um, agree with you and, uh, we've heard plenty of anecdotal, um, you know, feedback from EOS implementers who clients have sold and, you know, they credit EOS with not just, um, uh, the value that they sold for, but that they even uh, prepared them to, to be in a position to sell um, or that they, that EOS helped them realize that it was time for them to move on and find another passion. So just that whole um, process, um, EOS is a fantastic tool for it. Uh, and I tell uh, folks, both uh, business owners, sellers, uh, bankers, anybody, uh, at the Firefly Group, at least, we're more likely to say yes to an opportunity, and we're more likely to pay more for that opportunity if they're running on an operating system. EOS is certainly our um, operating system of choice, and it has been long before we were owner uh, an owner of it. Uh, that's not just a uh, uh, something new that I would tell uh, folks, but uh, even if you're not running on EOS, if you have a system it is a contributing factor to all of the, uh, the key things we look for in companies to buy in terms of more likely to have a fully developed leadership team. Uh, companies who know what their issues are can solve their issues. Uh, they can stop solving the same issue over and over again, and it frees up time for them to be able to look ahead, look around corners, know what's coming, anticipate. And that sort of team uh, and that sort of company is more broadly marketable and it's frankly more valuable out in the marketplace. And 
so we've seen that to be true um, in our own experience. Um, and we uh, hear the same from a lot of companies that are running on EOS. Well, I want to be sensitive to your time. So I, if, if you have it, I, I just have a few more questions. Absolutely. So when we look at, at, at business owners, I mean, most of of them, this is a lifestyle, you know, it's, they're not viewing mm-hmm. their business as an investment. And, you know, this is, it, it's just basically an, uh, a checkbook and, you know, some years it's great. Some years, not so great. Um, I mean, when you're out looking in the marketplace, I mean, are you seeing people that are interested in legacy and making, you know, that this company goes on in the, into the future, or is it, you know what, I, I just want, I just want to check out cash me out and do whatever you want with whatever's left. Uh, you know, honestly, we see both. Um, and, and that's okay. Uh, neither one of those is the right answer and neither one of those is the wrong yeah. answer. Uh, as you know, in working with business owners, uh, who are working toward, uh, that, uh, that eventual outcome of an exit, uh, it's a very emotional process. Um, in the lead up to it, during the process is very intense. And then, then after that, um, and, uh, you know, working with good advisors, uh, having a system like EOS or another operating system, uh, those sorts of things, uh, help the business owner prepare, um, not just the business for a transition, but prepare themselves for a transition. And, uh, for us, the most successful sellers, know what it is they want to accomplish in exiting their business. And some will tell you, I just want to be done. I will, I will sell to the person who pays me the most and pays me the most, the fastest. Um, and if that is truly what they want, um, out of their business and they're ready for whatever comes next, um, then that's great. And, um, hopefully they have good advisors to, to get them to that outcome. And there are others that say that are intentional in a different sort of way um, that certainly want uh, top value for the business. Maybe they want to stay and continue to run it and they just want to partner. They just want to diversify their risk um, and anywhere in between, uh, but very intentional about what they want out of uh, their business transition and what they care about. And sometimes that is, the legacy. Um, sometimes it's more just a lifeline, um, to be done, uh, and retire and and monetize their life's work. And that's quite all right. Yeah. And I get it. But the funny, the funny thing is that so many business owners don't understand the buyer risk that, you know, there is Mm -hmm. somebody, you, you know, you've owned this business for 40 years, you know, you, you don't exactly, you know, just turn over the reins and, and the buyer knows every single thing that you do. And there's just a disconnect that, you know, Hey, that's not my problem anymore. That's the buyer's problem. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, either, either you're going to participate in seller financing or some sort of performance, you know, uh, based vehicle that's going to mitigate the buyer's risk, or you're not going to be able to to sell period. And it's so funny that the, the buy or the sellers are, are just cannot empathize with what the, what they're asking the buyer to do coming in. So I hear you. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy one, but uh, you know, but, but I think anymore, I, I think business sellers as well, you know, buyers are, are coming to the table more informed. And I think it's forcing business sellers to become more prepared. Um, mm-hmm. At least I hope so. So swinging to my, one of my last questions is, 
you know, what do you think the single biggest challenge is facing small business today? Oh, it's absolutely talent recruitment and retention. Um, and that's, that's in our companies, our partner companies, that is, uh, in the, the, the business owners and sellers that, that we look at and talk with them out in the market every day. Uh, the war for talent is real. Um, it's not, um, going away. And, uh, with that, uh, companies have to be very mindful, um, of how they are, uh, not just approaching and, and recruiting talent, uh, but how they are um, structured to retain that talent um, and create a pathway for them to envision staying with the company long-term. And uh, there's so much mobility in the marketplace today. And from a macroeconomic sense or a public policy point of view, that's a great thing. Um, as a business owner and uh, as an investor in small businesses, sometimes you think, man, I wish I could put a moat around our talent. Um, but there are no moats anymore, um, when it comes to, to economic mobility for talented individuals. And with that, you have to, um, invest very intentionally in culture. You have to invest in training and education for your people. You have to make your company, um, a place that people uh, want to come every day. They come and they get filled up instead of uh, worn down where they leave fulfilled, um, not just, um, filling the, the bank account, um, and working for a fee, but, uh, really enjoying, uh, where they work, who they work with, what they work on and the opportunities that uh, are ahead of them. Um, and that is just person to person. That is the single biggest issue that we see. And it's across all industries. You know, the funny thing is, so, so after all these podcasts that, I, that I've done, the one, the ones that get the most attention are those related to, to employees and oh, yeah. employee retention. So, so business owners, uh, intuitively know, you know, where the, where the value is. And that's, that's pretty interesting because it is. And, and the funny thing is, you know, so many employees fail to realize that they are what creates value in the, in the company. Now the, the guy that's taken all the risk, he has probably a bigger paycheck, but at the end of the day, the people that, that are, are, are working and, and developing and, you know, implementing the, uh, the sales or the products or whatever, you know, they're the ones that create the value and they, yeah. Oh my gosh. That is, that is so funny that, uh, you've said that. Cause I think it's, it's running about 90% of all the, all the interviews that I've done. Everyone says it's employees. And I wonder yeah, if it'll absolutely. always be that way. You think it'll always be that way? Um, I think that it will, um, as a, I would, uh, believe that 90% of uh, folks would continue to say that well into the future. Uh, you'll have others talk about, you know, technology disruption and, um, that'll always be the case. But, um, when you live in a knowledge driven economy, um, it's always going to be, um, talent and skill sets, uh, that really drive the, um, the economic outcomes, uh, not just for the economy as a whole, but for, small businesses, um, in particular. Before we go, my, my last question, this is the grand finale. So if, uh, okay. you had one, one, and I, and I think I know the answer, but if you had one piece of advice you'd give to our listeners that would have the most immediate impact on the value of their business, what would it be? 
You mean outside of implementing EOS? Yeah, well, I was, that was that was my answer, but I, I assumed you were going to say have a process. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, yes, more generally have a process, but uh, no, I you know what I would tell uh, business owners: uh, the single biggest thing you can do is make yourself easily replaceable in your business, um, and that is easier said than done. Uh, for somebody who's spent their, uh, their life, their blood, their sweat, their tears building a business, um, to think about uh, building it in a way where they're no longer needed to uh, um, ensure that the business is successful. Um, and so I, I joked about EOS, but uh, EOS and other systems like that, working with coaches and trusted advisors um, is a good way to, uh, to help the business owners, the entrepreneurs uh, plan for that and be very intentional about it. But I think just as importantly, what goes along with that is that before you make yourself replaceable in your business, you have to know what you actually want to do once you're free to do anything. You have to yeah, uh, be mindful and intentional about, uh, okay, now what's next? Uh, because business owners and entrepreneurs are, are wired a little differently. They're not going to, no matter how much they tell themselves, they're going to go play golf and they're going to move to Florida. Um, there's too much energy there. Um, and we've seen, uh, the moat from, at least from the, uh, the owners that, that we've bought from and, and other sellers that we interact with in the marketplace, those that are the most fulfilled and satisfied uh, with the outcome, it has very little to do, you know, once you're removed from the situation it has very little to do with, um, price or deal structure, all the things that, that we thrash around about. Uh, you know, the fulfillment and the satisfaction, uh, comes with uh, having the next passion and their next purpose, um, and being able to harness and direct that energy toward it. Um, and, uh, the ones that can do that successfully are the ones that ended up making the most money out of their, uh, their sale and transition anyways. Well, so what's the best way we can connect with you? Uh, so the, the best way to, to find me is on LinkedIn. Uh, and then from there we can connect and uh, go offline. Uh, always uh, interested to talk with uh, business owners, entrepreneurs, uh, trusted advisors, intermediaries out in the marketplace. So uh, LinkedIn is the best way to find me. Drew McHouston. Uh, McHouston is M-C-C-U-I-S-T-O-N. Please do look me up and uh, connect there. Okay, and I'll certainly have links to everything we talked about in the in the show notes. So, Drew, you know, thanks so much for being so generous with your time and and experience and helping business owners maximize their value inside the business and and on the exit. And to learn more about Drew and the Firefly Group, go to http www.thefireflygrp.com. Drew, again, thanks so much for being a defender of business value. Thanks, Ed. Really appreciate you having us on the show uh, this afternoon. And uh, thanks for all you're doing out there to, to help entrepreneurs get the most out of their business. Well, it was, it was great to visit with you, and I look forward to seeing you soon. All right. Thank you, Ed. This was another episode of the Defenders of Business Value Podcast. For more episodes packed with strategies to increase the value of your business, visit DefendersOfBusinessValue.com for show notes, transcripts, and free tools to start you on your journey. Subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes.